Have you ever felt split in two? Like, uh, like in one sense, uh, you want to run 10 kilometers every morning, but in another, you really want to have that piece of chocolate cake. You know, like life is, is this uh, series of tensions that you walk through for 80 years um, and then it ends. You know, perhaps you, uh, perhaps you ended marriage uh, if you're married today, um, thinking that you were going to transform into this incredible spouse overnight. And it would be this beautiful, blissful uh, experience for 50 years, and you'd both die holding each other's hands, and you went to be with Jesus. And you stood at the gates. It's like, ah, oh, you're still here. You know, th- like perhaps that's the picture you had. Um, and, and a couple of years in, you're just like, well, we're a little behind. You know, we're just a little behind uh, the expectations that I had in mind. You struggle to see what it could be. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I can't see it. Uh, or maybe, maybe you started a, a, a career, a new career with great ambitions and a, and a picture of what it could be. And, uh, and now you just keep talking about leaving it all behind. You know, we, we tire so easily, don't we? We, uh, we, we start with these great ambitions and, and we, we grow tired. New presents just aren't new for that long, are they? You know, it's like, well, it's new, you know, for about, about a fortnight. That's the obligatory new period. And then it's just one like everything else, you know, like all of a sudden there's a stain on the car seat and great. It's not really a new car anymore. When are we getting the next one? You know, or it's not a new toy because I broke that little thing on the back of it or I dropped it in the dirt and it got wet and it's not really new anymore. Have you ever said... I just want to move on to something new. You might not have said it out loud, but I'm sure that a lot of us have said that in our heads, haven't we? A new day. I want a new start, a new chapter, or a new heart. It's a Taylor Swift lyric in there somewhere, I'm sure. Uh, it seems like we have these, you know, these pictures. If you, sorry, if you don't know Taylor Swift, then you're missing out on a whole lot of not much. Uh, it, it seems like we have these, um, these, these pictures and these expectations of the future and of life and in our, in our brokenness and in our sinfulness, we lose sight of them. You know, at our deepest level, um, Jesus says he makes us new, doesn't he? But, but what does that really mean? What does that really mean? You know, I, I still have doubts and my, my heart still deceives me, you know, day after day. And life sometimes just doesn't really seem that different. What does it mean to be made new? What does it mean that Jesus is making all things new? I think that new life isn't quite what we expect. Open your Bibles to Revelation 21. We are... For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about um, what it means to live um, in light of the resurrection, what, what the resurrection means for us as, uh, as Christ's church today. Uh, we started by looking at um, Christ's redemption, His work of redemption, and that work being not the, the redemption that we expected, different than what we have in mind, different than what His followers had in mind and different than what we have in mind today. Um, so we talked about this Messiah who comes to redeem us, but in a completely different way. And then last week we talked about um, this king and this kingdom. That's not at all what we expect. 
and this, this kingdom that we as God's people now live within that is just completely counterculture. It goes against what you would imagine a kingdom looking like. A king comes and he conquers and he crushes his enemies and then his people live in peace. And the, the kingdom that Christ established was a king comes, he gets crushed by his enemies, he suffers and dies and calls all of his followers to do the same. To live sacrificial lives of love to their communities and have his power live through them and renew everyone. And, and we're looking again for the, the third week, the third and final week, about what it means to live in light of the resurrection. Um, so often when we think about the resurrection, we think about it in the context of what happened immediately before it. Now we have to, right? We have to think about the resurrection in terms of the crucifixion. There's no life without death, right? Like we have to have that uh, contrast um, but, but often that's as far as we go. We never really think about the fruit of the resurrection. What about the future? What does the resurrection mean for the future of Christianity, for the future of His church, for our very lives today? How does it empower me? The resurrection opens up a, a new reality for humanity. Everything is different. It's the beginning of new life, but not the life that we expect. Verse 1, chapter 121, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Um, just a quick comment here. I would love to spend a whole lot more time here, and maybe uh, one day at the project we'll preach Revelation. That would be awesome. Uh, as a young adult, as a young man, I, I read it on repeat because I just love the imagery, right? You read it and you just go, I didn't even get it. Cool. That's great. It's like a Star Wars movie, you know, just let's do that. That's great. Um, as I'm a bit older, I recognize there's a whole lot of difficulty in there. Um, but I heard a professor comment on reading Revelation. He said, the best way to understand uh, Revelation for us um, is it would be like us reading a political cartoon today, right? So, you know, in, in the newspapers, um, in the comic section or, or sometimes in, in the political section, you'll have a, a picture of a politician doing something completely absurd um, with all of this hidden meaning in the photo, right? And the only way that you could possibly understand that if you were deeply embedded in our culture. So you read a political cartoon and you go, oh, that's hilarious. John Howard's riding a pig, jumping through a hoop, you know, leaping off a building or something. And all of us go, ha, 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 that's great. But if anyone from any other culture read it, You'd be like, uh, like what, what is this? What sort of mythology is this? I have no idea. Like, is this one of your gods? Like, yeah, like it, it would make absolutely no sense. Um, so read Revelation like that. Um, there are images in here and there are understandings in here that are very difficult for us to grasp, um, but that the original readers would have heard and been like, well, of course, this is brilliant. And then they're powerful images. So um, it's, it, there's a little bit of work to be done to get within the text. Uh, and I'll, I'll give you an example of that in just a moment um, uh, at the end of this verse, verse 1. Um, but where's this coming from? So, so chapter 21, John is writing this uh, letter on an island. Um, uh, uh, where is, what's happening right here in 21? Just to, just to pull us right down into it. What he's doing here, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, 
um, is he is mirroring, he's paralleling um, the, the first chapter of the Bible. Uh, Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Um, the first thing to recognize is when they say heaven and earth, so a new heaven and a new earth in Revelation and then new heaven and new earth in Genesis, what they understand, we say heaven and earth, we say well, earth and heaven where God dwells, they say Earth is down here, what's in front of us, the soil, oh, catching. Uh, they, they say the soil, that's earth, and they say heaven is up there, the sky, it's the clouds. So they, they don't have an overly complex understanding of heaven and earth, right? They're just saying the things that we can see above and below us. Um, that's the first thing that we need to sort of put on the table. Um, the next thing is that the understanding of creation, and I mentioned this um, a couple of months ago, is that uh, the beginning of creation in, in the Jews' mind was a chaotic, watery wasteland. They didn't have a concept of a time where there was nothing. There was always something. There was a dark, chaotic, watery wasteland. And then God took the chaos and he made order. And he brought life to it. And, you know, and, and he established humanity. And that's their understanding of the, the creative process. So God took chaos and he made a beautiful garden. And that's how they see restoration. That's their picture of creation and restoration. So the sea here in, in Revelation 21, um, this odd little, you know, at the end of verse 1, and the sea was no more. It's like, well, what? Like, it was, did, the, did it dry up? Did like God decide that there's no water anymore? So everyone's into water sports. is like, bummer, that sucks, Like because I was really looking forward to that. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of other references to a sea in Revelation. What he's saying, the sea here is a representation for the instability and chaos of mankind. Um, th- these guys, uh, Israel, right, they were never really a seafaring community. Like there, there's a few glimpses of it in the Old Testament. There was one king that did a, did a bit with um, boats, but that's really it. They were never really a seafaring community. They're thinking about one of the greatest threats to life and flourishing, they, and they think sea. We don't think that. You know, we think um, nuclear bombs. Like, what, what would be one of the greatest threats to humanity? You know, like, in, in a global sense, we think, like, someone detonating a bomb, um, a country exploding, and radiation circling the earth for a thousand years. You know, like, that's one of the greatest threats. So, in, in their mind, God overcomes the sea to create gardens and order and flourishing life. So when he says, the sea is no more, verse 1, he is saying, the dangers and threats to God's creation are removed. So let me, let me just, just draw a little bit more context and then, and then um, we'll, we'll dive in. In the context of the biblical narrative, right, in, in, in the overarching story, the first heaven and earth were prepared for the first man and woman, Adam and Eve in the garden in, in Genesis, um, and their descendants, God had readied everything, and He prepared it, uh, and He placed them in the garden, and then Adam and Eve sinned. And they allowed uh, death and evil into the world, and it corrupted God's good creation. And now Romans tells us that creation groans. It, it, it longs for renewal, for restoration. Now just think about this for a second. We're just going to talk about the physical world 
think about how this speaks to our understanding of the world. You know, I think one of the more common understandings um, within uh, Christian thinking and Christian traditions in that is that this world, right, like this world, flesh, the physical world is, is second rate and it's temporary. And God will remove us from this physical burden, you know, these aches and pains, and he'll take us away to heaven. Uh, and, and, and that leaves us with this reality that the physical is unimportant. And it's left behind. It, it, I'll die, I'll be buried in a grave, or I'll be incinerated into ashes, and the physical world will be no more, and I'll be taken to heaven, um, and, and the spiritual will live on forever, right? There's a little bit of Greek thinking in there. That's, that's the assumption, right? Is I will leave this earthly body behind. It's gone. No more, and I will go to heaven. Um, now, this is really important to clarify, because what a person hopes for they live for, right? And, and your understanding, your trajectory is going to change the way that you live today in the world around you. So if our understanding is that this earth is getting scrapped, it's just going to be, it's just, just going to be, get scrapped, it's game over, all of the physical reality is going to get scrapped, it's going to affect the way that we live substantially. Now let's just jump ahead, I, I, I don't often do this this in, in a text, but let's jump to verse 5 for a second, because he sort of starts and closes with this, this um, common theme. Behold, I am making all things new. Okay, so just, let's just draw a contrast. Verse 1, um, he says here, uh, a new heaven and a new earth, because the other one's passed away. But then in verse 5, he says, I am making all things new. So, uh, do you, do you see the difference? What is he doing? Is he making all new things or is he making all things new? What's God going to do with humanity, with the world, with creation? Because it, l- it seems like there's a contrast. The old earth has passed away and I'm making all things new. Uh, sorry, all new things, all, all, all things new. What, what's it going to be? Um, it's, it's interesting. Where else do we see this tension, that, that language, that, um, that contrast? Um, behold, uh, sorry, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Um, the same, uh, uh, the same uh, contrast there, right? The same tension. Let's what does okay the problem is what does new mean what does new mean in this text in 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 revelation the only way we're going to get past the contrast is actually to ask the question what new means what's the reality of new new means uh, i I can't pronounce it but it's kainos Um, kainos doesn't mean uh, a new object or, or new as in like a period of time right like a new day um, it's a period of time. It does not mean that. A new, uh, in this context, means a new quality uh, or a new kind, um, like a new depth to something. Um, so when they say a new earth, a new heaven, it's like a new kind of earth, a new quality of earth. Um, so we ruined... Let's, I'm just going to open this up, and I'm trying to rush because uh, we're a little late. We ruined God's original plan for creation, right? Sin entered the world, 
corrupted everything, and life as we know it now, we live in a zero-sum game. Think about this. If the wolf wants to eat, the lamb has to die, right? We've been watching um, Planet Earth 2, uh, and it is incredible. Um, but there's a whole bunch of times where uh, our daughter's sitting on the couch, and it's like, this guy's about to get eaten. You know, like there's this scene where um, these baby lizards hatch out of eggs and they emerge above this, uh, they emerge out into uh, a little area of sand and their whole mission for the first like minute of their life is run as fast as you can to get on the rocks where your parents are because if you don't, you're going to get eaten by about 50 snakes that are tearing across to get you. If you haven't seen this scene, it is crazy it's so depressing <laughs> my, 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 my wife was lamenting the whole time what is happening why are we watching this um but we you know we live in a zero-sum game um that's the, the the world that we live in at the moment for me to win and survive and prosper usually someone else loses someone else suffers it's at a cost to someone else for one community to prosper Another has to suffer. And we spend our lives warring and fighting for greatness and abundance and significance. And then Jesus enters the scene and it's a he introduces a completely new way to live. It's completely new. He lived as the true human. He always loved. He always served. He always gave. He, he gave. he gave his people this new commandment. Love God and love people. That's all there is to it. He, Jesus gave us this new reality where the leader was the servant. Where the king suffered the most. And he, he just he tears everything apart. He tears our expectations apart. John 12, John, the same author of Revelation, um, quotes Jesus, uh, verse 12, sorry, chapter 12, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. And the, the, the famous verse after that, we all know, whoever loves his life, loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What, what's, what's going on here? What are we getting at? That the way to new life is death, is, is sacrifice, is giving of yourself, is doing what the king did, is following in his footsteps. If anyone wants to follow after me, let him enjoy himself. No, no, no. Let him be comfortable. No, 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 let's go, through, let's go through all of the answers we can to preserve ourselves. No, let him take up his cross every day. Um, 1 Corinthians 15 gets, us the, gets at the same reality and, and I'd encourage you to read uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and, and think about what the resurrection means for uh, the physical reality. It's, um, it's a really powerful chapter uh, 15 verse 35 says, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? It's like if we're doing away with the physical world, what kind of body does the, the, the dead get? And verse 36 responds, You foolish person, 
What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So Jesus, through his life and death and resurrection, opens the door to a new creation. He gives us a new reality. A new reality where life comes from death. One day, you will live in a new physical body, right? Jesus appears to his disciples. He says, put your fingers in the holes in my hands. He, he, he shows them, he reveals to himself his physical body. We will be like Jesus one day. We will have a new physical body. The physical world is not being discarded. It's not being trashed and thrown away. It's being renewed. The hope for the Christian is one day we will live in a new garden, in a new world, as God's new people. And this gives us new life today. So how do we, where do we start today? What does new life today look, look, look like? How do we begin that? How do we follow in Christ's footsteps? By living like Jesus. We, we talk about it, haven't we? Like, by, by living like Jesus with self-giving love and allowing His power to work through our sacrifice. Think about this. Life uh, in Christ is not a zero-sum game anymore. Life is Christ giving Himself to me and me giving myself to Him in service of others. That's my whole reality now. I take hold of the cross and, uh, and Christ's uh, gift to me, His grace to me, and, it, and it, 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 it flows through me into all of my life. And I give myself away freely. This is what it means to live as a new creation. To put myself and my needs after the needs of others. To deny myself and my selfish desires to bury myself as a seed that Christ might bring life out of it. That's 1 Corinthians 15. That whole reality there is, is the physical life is a seed. It's, it's planted, it's perishable and it's fading, but it's a seed that, that grows and out of it comes um, resurrected life, a new body. What a person hopes for, they live for. Our hope... Our hope, let me, let me sum up verse 1 with this. Our hope is that Jesus isn't doing away with the world, but is renewing it with His power in our daily sacrifices of love, our daily taking up our cross. That's how Jesus is renewing the world today and will ultimately renew it one day when He comes again, where His people will live with Him on a new earth forever. Verse 2, and the, uh, the next three verses will be just a little bit uh, quicker. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So uh, the, the first uh, little challenge there is the holy city, New Jerusalem. What is that? What is this New Jerusalem? New Jerusalem, uh, what's the old Jerusalem? Well, let's make sense of the new Jerusalem through the old Jerusalem. What's that? That's the place where God reigned over His people. So the new Jerusalem, that's the place where God reigns over His people. 
Believers are not going to heaven. The new Jerusalem is, is coming down out of heaven. And it's coming down to a new created earth, a cleansed earth, a new renewed earth. God and mankind are together again. So we're not getting whisked away from this evil world, an impure world, but God is recreating it. Believers are coming down out of heaven to a new earth. Now, this is a place, the New Jerusalem represents a place, but it also represents a people. We are the New Jerusalem. We are the people of God. And listen to the, uh, the second part of that verse, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Um, and all the men say, Amen. Yeah, come on, that's what I want. You know, that's, that's, that's a joke. The, the men don't say that, and the men have a, a lot of difficulty associating with that. Um, the, the closest they could probably ever, ever come to that is seeing their wife walk down the aisle to them and, and them being broken by the beauty of it. Um, uh, what are we wearing? What, what, is, what, what is this uh, dress uh, or what is this clothing? Um, as God's people, we're dressed in the righteousness of Christ. His royal robes. That's Isaiah 61. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. So we are the new Jerusalem, God's new people, renewed, resurrected in his righteousness. God is recreating the earth for us to live on with him and he is recreating a people with his righteousness verse 3 and i heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the dwelling place of god is with man he will dwell with them and they will be his people and god himself will be with them as their god he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is, the, um, this is the promises of the Old Testament time and time again, isn't it? This is what God's been trying to do since creation, isn't it? Dwell with His people. But we, in our, in our selfishness and in our brokenness and in our sinfulness, we keep pushing Him away. Like an angry child, right? He, he picks us up in his arms and we're pushing against his chest and we're slapping him in the face. We smack him and he calls out to us and he reaches to us and he, what does he do? He wipes our tears. And, and we're a bit startled by that. Ah, oh, it's not what I was expecting. And he puts his hand on, on, our, on our bodies and he takes away death. And he touches our, our souls and he heals the wounds that we've walked with through all of life. And he resurrects us with his great power. Uh, John, John is, is wrestling with the reality of newness here. And the best way that he can say it is, is by saying nor lots, right? Like the, look at the second half of that little section uh, nor, nor will they be, nor will they be, nor will they be. He's struggling to, 
to communicate, to envision a new, react, new resurrection so much that he communicates it by saying what there won't be. There's not going to be tears. There's not going to be death. There's not going to be mourning. There's not going to be crying. There's not going to be pain. That'll be all gone. There is coming a time where we will be fully recreated so that our hearts will be of single devotion. Where we're not pulling and pushing at the same time. Where we're not distracted away from Christ. Where we will dwell with God and not squirm like a child, but enjoy Him. Dwell with Him. Walk with Him. I don't know. I wonder if you've had moments where you, where you have felt a closeness, a proximity to God and had that shattered by, by an angry conversation or by a phone call or by an email from someone who just won't do their job. You know, it's like I wonder if you've, you've had that tension, if you've lived within that tension. There's coming a time, we anticipate a time where we will dwell with God. Verse 5, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. The hope uh, of Christ, but the band can come up and we're going to close with this. The hope of Christ, Christ making all things new, frees us to be released from what we have here on earth. It frees us. This, this resurrection uh, reality, this resurrection power, this new life in Christ, this new heaven and earth frees us, releases us from what we have here on earth. Um, Jesus has a conversation about this in Matthew 19. He says, um, this is in the, in the context of um, that this rich man, uh, I'll, I'll just read through all of it. Matthew 19, 23, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Now listen to this uh, next uh, exchange. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? We don't have anything. We've left everything. We've given it all away. What then will we have? Truly, or Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you in the new world, in the new world, this world that I'm recreating with my resurrected power, you who have followed me, sorry, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is His promise to us today. Verse 29, And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Life. Resurrected life. The very life of Jesus that renews you completely. 
And then just to, just to remind us of this new kingdom reality right at the end there, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Leaving houses and, and families and making sacrifices for Christ's sake comes from, it comes from a place of knowing the call of God's kingdom and the hope of resurrection. It comes from knowing what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. That comes from knowing the kind of kingdom that you live within, the kind of redemption that Christ offers. My life on earth counts, but not like I think it does. And we struggle for abundance and power and greatness and new things and new seasons and we miss it. What does our resurrection accomplish for our future? Us dwelling with God in a complete restoration. And, and what does the resurrection accomplish for our today? New life to live as we ought to live. To live self-sacrificially, to give away rather than keep. To die, to, to, to willingly put our lives on the line, to, to give up our lives, right? To let go of our lives so that we might gain it. To plant the seed of our lives. Think about a body going into the ground. To plant our lives as a seed that God might bring life out of it. Resurrected life from it. Um, I'll conclude with this. When Peter and, and Paul talk about the resurrection, they always land, or, or, or when they talk about it, they land with these incredibly practical realities. And I just want to read two scriptures and then we're going to sing. And I just want you to, just to plant those two scriptures in your mind while you sing. This is how, um, in 1 Corinthians 15, this is how um, uh, Paul concludes. And then in, in 2 Peter, uh, Peter concludes, when they, they, they look at the resurrection, they unpack the resurrection and they conclude like this. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In light of the resurrection, in light of Christ's power, in light of Him making you new, in light of eternal life, abound in the work of the Lord. Let's get about it. Let's go and live as His people. Let's follow in the footsteps of Christ. Let's daily take up our cross. And 2 Peter 3, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? To live in Christ's new life, abound in His work, Go, live in His resurrection power. Love God. Love people knowing what's to come. I, I will happily lose my life today and this week because I know the life that is to come. God, would you strengthen us to live uh, in the power of your resurrection, to take hold of 
a new life for us today, new life to live as a true humans, to be restored in our humanity and, and strengthen us to take hold of new life that is to come, complete resurrection, dwelling with Christ for eternity. Holy Spirit, strengthen us in this. Revelation 22, 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Be blessed.